Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 56 with Sam from Think Tank Social. Sam, an ex-professional rugby player in the UK, um, transitioned interestingly into the business side of things off a very unfortunate injury, but we'll let her talk about it in the podcast. Today, we talked a lot about what she's doing in the market, why she's taken a massive interest in esports and gaming. We talk about her work with building the personal profiles of professional athletes, but having a recent focus on corporate and CEO profile management and raising that, how a white collar um, suit and tie wearing person can start to resonate with the new market in an authentic and interesting way to not only increase their own revenue coming through the door, their company's revenue, or their possible future expansion possibilities. Had a great chat today with Sam. Uh, Can't wait for you all to listen to this, and it will be followed up by LinkedIn Live about a week or so after this one's released. So if you'd like to check that out, you can add me on LinkedIn, Chris Smith, or linkedin.com forward slash Smithy Mayo. Enjoy. I love this podcast, as with so many of the recent ones I've been doing. I hope you like it too. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up enter the industry or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going if you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg Sam, great to have you here on the podcast finally this has been changed from a LinkedIn live to a podcast because we've got so much to talk about today how are you really good thanks Chris excited to be here Fantastic. So a bit of a difference with this podcast, I guess, is um, your history in sport, not so much esports, um, and then also your conversion into the business scene. So I'd love to learn a little bit about yourself and your history in both of those. Thanks, Chris. Well, I'll keep it short and to the point. Um, but yeah, I am from England, um, actually Essex, and at 17 years old, I got into the England rugby squad, which um, mm. was incredible. Um, I love sport, I love competition, I love growing, and yeah, managed to get into the team there whilst also having a career as a PE teacher in inner London. Um, got to the point where I was a little bit unhappy um, within that role as a PE teacher, and my days at England rugby were soon coming to an end with lots of injuries. Um, but we used to always watch Neighbours back in the UK, and this was one of the reasons I wanted to come to Australia. Absolutely love uh, Dr. Carl Kennedy, and believe it or not, was the one that actually drove me to come over here, which I did. Um, fell in love with the land of opportunity, and really just wanted to set myself up here. But um, after a couple of years, uh, my visa was coming to an end. I went home quickly and um, saw the parents, and there was a game of rugby, an opportunity to play. Um, and I put my hand up and played for a couple of years, so I wasn't rugby fit. But um, I remember getting onto the, the, the rugby pitch, and I'm going somewhere with this guy. Stay with me, stay with me. Um, and within the first couple of minutes, I managed to get the ball, and I was running towards the try line, and some girl came in from the side and slide tackled me and snapped my leg into fully broken, uh, which was – at the time really painful but on reflection it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because if I didn't have a broken leg back then in 2008 I wouldn't be running um, a successful social media agency today um, but yeah back then I thought wow you know I'm always kind of a glass half full kind of person and you know always interested in people and opportunity and where things are going and um, I'd heard of Twitter um, and YouTube back in 2008 so um hmm. 
time I was like resting up my broken leg, I was really exploring what I had to offer. And, you know, again, more and more people were jumping aboard. There was more opportunity. And um, after a few gin and tonics one evening with my mates, I decided I wanted to run a campaign and really see if social media had a lot of substance. So I put it out there and did a really dodgy YouTube video. Um, I still keep it up there today because it's all part of the story, right? Um, Mm. Did a video around wanting businesses to bid advertising space on my broken leg. And I really didn't think this was going to go anywhere, but I just had like a gut feel where I thought it could. could. So um, once I did my video, um, I looked at a few followers on Twitter and like we call them today, influencers. I looked at people that had a bigger and better following than me. And I literally just sent over my video and said, hi, if you think this has got any legs, I'd love you to share this and retweet it. Um, and Chris, the next morning I woke up, I had 27,000 views on my dodgy video. I had nearly 6,000 Twitter followers and I had people being curious to know how they can actually get their brand or some visibility on my broken leg. Wow, there you go. I've, I've heard a couple of stories like that in the past, but never yours in particular. Ones of, you know, people, uh, I think it was a guy that was tattooing his face for life for, you know, 500 bucks or something like that. So it sounds like yours was a little bit less permanent, but yeah, just as interesting. Oh, yeah. I just lucky it in at the right time, right, before it got really busy. Um, and I'm yeah. quite, so pleased I did. Like, what I've learned over the last 10 years is incredible in terms of shift and technology and education. It just keeps you green and growing. So, um, yeah, that's my story. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's super cliche, right, to turn something great out of a bad experience because everything seems right. so horrible at that time. But, like, so many, I've, I have so many cases personally of redundancies that have made people's careers. You know, like Playside Studios, who's invested in us, and we've had Jerry on LinkedIn Live and podcasts. They're a 55 person games dev studio here in Melbourne, and, and we're physically in their offices. You know, the same thing. They were founded off an EA redundancy, um, and so many other companies I know too. Yeah, I think sometimes it's a good thing, right? As you say, you've just got to find your own way. It makes you more resilient. <clears throat> you have other ways of doing things, you know, finding a way to win and surrounding yourself with those types of people that are going to cheerlead you from the side. So mm. I always look at a bad experience as a good opportunity. Yeah, and I guess even for me personally, like my redundancy was an opportunity to finish paying off my car and my credit card, to have a bit of money, to then go, okay, what's next? Because I, you know, and I guess a lot of this, is obviously hinging on whether you want to do the entrepreneurial thing. Not everyone wants to do that, for sure. But even if you're looking for another job, it gives you a bit of that safety net where, you know, I was able to go into becoming a journalist and end up going to uni debt-free, and it was the redundancy that, that gave me that opportunity. Incredible, mate. And look at you here right now today. We're having this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. <laughs> so I'd like to I'd like to touch quickly um, on a couple more sport things first before we get into like a lot of our topics today can you weigh in a little bit on the um participation and support for women in sport in in 2008 compared to what it is at today oh well it's increased phenomenally in terms of yeah the pathways and opportunities for females within sport Mm. and i suppose now with them the media really showcasing you know those female sports and those females within their own right are actually standing up and talking a lot about the sport to increase participation it's just going from strength to strength it's it's so um you know it's so overwhelmingly positive to see this and I think like females are really grasped it with both hands and gone right this is our opportunity to shine this is our opportunity to get out there and put ourselves out there and showcase like how good it is to play sport and obviously within individual sports as well Mm. yeah there's a a great um, quote from Mary and unfortunately I 
could never pronounce her last name when I knew it. It's it's a very long. I think it's I think it's a Greek last name. But she talked at the EGAA esports conference. I think it was March or April last year, and she runs um, Ladies Who League and and um, and various other kind of women focused sport bodies. And I think my favorite quote from her is, "You can't be what you can't see." So you know, if you don't have those those women who are given the opportunity to play there, that the younger girls growing up who might have an affinity towards rugby or AFL, you know, kind of being taught by the lack of representation, that, you know, the sport's not for them. Mm, that's such a good point, and then like it's it's so positive just to see these girls put themselves out there on social media. Um, I find particularly here in Australia, you know, with the whole tall poppy syndrome, a lot of people don't want to do that. Um, whereas in the UK, when I was brought up, you had to you had to make a noise or you didn't get heard and you didn't get seen. But what I have noticed is there's a lot of females now really, you know, understanding who they are, what they stand for and why they are putting themselves out on social media to share, you know, swimming or netball and why it is so good in terms of not only the physical, you know, strength that you can build, but mentally as well in terms of friendships and teamwork and everything you can learn. It's really encouraging to see. Mm. And I guess being such a physical player yourself in, in rugby, is there any um, long, long-lasting injuries that you've carried with you over the years? That's a great question. Just a little lump on my leg. That's about it. Nothing else. I've broken my nose, dislocated my shoulder, but I seem to be holding up all right at 40 years old. Yeah, fair Who knows? I'll get it in a year. <laughs> Maybe think- what, what, what position did you play in rugby? Play number eight and then blindside flanker. And for, those, for those including me who have no idea, what, what does that actually mean? <laughs> you're right at the back of the scrum. Yeah, okay. So you've got all the in front of you and you're pushing against other bodies coming at you. Yeah. Be the main person at the back. Okay. So getting into, you know, one of the topics we want to talk about today was about um, building personal and professional profiles. It's something you focused on a lot. So let's start on the sports side of things. I'd, I'd love for you to give me a bit of a rundown elevator pitch on Caroline Buchanan, who's a high profile athlete that you represent and, and help. You know, who is she? What does she do? And, and what's your focus with her? Yeah, well, Caroline came to us over three years ago now, and um, she's an Olympian, BMXer, mountain biker, um, and an incredible. She's like a marketer's dream, actually. Mm. Um, she's good looking, she's got personality, she's highly driven, um, adrenaline junkie. And she came to us and she just said she wanted to amplify her personal brand further to basically get more money at this stage. Um, and what we did over time was we really started to understand, you know, who she is. And yes, she's a professional athlete, but what else? What else can she bring to the table? Why would people follow her? What can she give that another BMX athlete couldn't or another athlete couldn't? And what we started to find was that Caroline was really interested in social media. She was really interested in, in graphic design, copywriting. Um, she was a she was an entrepreneurial athlete. And what we started to do was map out a content strategy over the next 12 months to really start to amplify her following and diversify it. Mm. She had quite a lot of guys following her in the BMX space. And what she wanted was she wanted to really connect with that youth market, that female youth market. And so we started to diversify the content and um, to really start to encourage these young females to follow Caroline. Again, not for her being on the bike, even though she did want to raise participation around BMX, but also actually to, to show them that girls can be something and, you know, find a way and become resilient and really be like that leader um, to these young girls and that mentor. And so, you know, over the last three years, yeah, we've absolutely attracted and, and nailed quite a lot of brand opportunities. Um, they tend to go to Caroline not for the podium. It's for a story. She's, uh, she's shared along the way the fact that she's had some serious injuries. She had a car roll over and break her sternum, which oh. is nearly 10 years off the bike. 
Um, but in that time, she didn't just sit around nothing. She was like, how can I produce content? What brands, you know, can, can I add value to? Let's look at a Medibank, for example, in terms of showcasing my recovery and then helping other people, you know, find a way if they're injured to you know, take my path to opening up charities to write children's books. She is a whirlwind. And right now, as it stands today, um, unfortunately, she's um, had some other injuries that have occurred to her, but she has just looked at this as ways to grow her and grow her profile and really tap into different audiences to help everyone get what they want and she gets what she wants. Yeah, the content beat thing that you were talking about, you know, it's constantly staying in touch with your fans and your audience. I think like the, the first thing that I always talk to influencers about is if you follow someone on Instagram and they haven't posted a story in two days and they're an influencer, you think they're dead. So it's so, you know, it's so important to, to keep in touch with people. And that's, you know, it's, it's that but supercharged these days with the younger generations. If you're looking at TikTok and someone like Jade Vincent, who, you know, we've had on LinkedIn Live and, and um, we'll be doing some more work with in the future, she produces up to seven pieces of content per day across five different platforms. It's, it's crazy, but it's necessary. It is. It is. And, and it's not just about the sheer volume of content. It's the value mm. as well. It's about... I think, you know, making sure that you know who your audience is and providing value to your audience, not putting a picture up of yourself and making you feel good about it. It's about what does your audience want and how can you engage with them to open up their minds more to then revert that back to produce the content that they want as well as obviously, you know, where you want to head. Mm. Yeah, and what I, and it, it's really interesting, like psychological exercise about what content has to be on different channels because sometimes I'll find myself as a fan unknowingly following her content through multiple channels. You know, I'll watch her TikTok videos and then I'll see some of her LinkedIn content and then I'll go check out her Instagram, look at a couple of her stories, her latest posts, and then go watch a YouTube video. <laughs> yep, yep. Leaves little breadcrumbs along the way and every piece is different and customised for that that channel. But I suppose that over time, you know, you really start to learn that. Mm. Um but I know for Carol, when she first started off, she was just very heavily into Facebook and Instagram. And obviously now with TikTok and, you know, Snapchat on the rise, she's really started to grasp it with both hands and go, I need to be everywhere and I need to add value everywhere. If I want to be where I want to be in the next 12 to 24 months, I'm going to have to sacrifice some things and, you know, stay up pretty late at night to do it and early in the morning and bring on board an agency and mm. get some mentors around me. But she's, she's all chips in, that girl. And that's what you've got to do. You can't half-ass this. And what's the financial situation like in her sport? Is this more of a necessity than some others where, you know, like what are the prize pools for tournaments and things like that? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, there's not much money in BMX at all. Mm. And I think that was another driver for her because she is hungry for money, but money gives her lifestyle, money gives her opportunity and travel. So that's why she's gone, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit and be consistent and be patient doesn't happen overnight and over the last three years we've been really patient mm. but nowadays like she she has so many brands coming to her harley davidson bose headphones um you know there's there's a ridiculous amount of brands that just now come to her whereas in the early days we had to reach out to them and provide the value about how they could actually how how she and her story can incorporate into their brand values whereas now they're coming to her going you know we'd love your story and we'll fit it in with us we want your to link in with our brand, which is mm. insane. And how does the how does the trade off for time work for such a professional athlete? Obviously, she's balancing travel, um, she's balancing events and training, and then creating content and you know maybe educating some some upcomers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't have much time at all, but she just sucks it up because she's in it for the long game, and she ultimately knows what she wants to get over the next five years. So she's committed mm. to that. 
you know, sometimes she'll have three, four hours sleep, but she, she just sucks it up because she knows ultimately where she's heading and she's seeing the results and she's seeing momentum at last. Mm. I think Caroline, where I've seen a true success in terms of managing that time is actually planning. She's really good at planning out the content strategy, her pillars, how she's going to integrate a speaking event in and slice and dice maybe six or seven pieces of content off the back of that, where that content's going to go. So she does have some time where she just strictly focuses on planning and then massive activation. Yeah, and I think it's it's a very important nugget of information you just said there, which is repurposing content and slicing things up for later. You know, for those who um, listen to this podcast, a lot of people come here through the snippets that are posted on LinkedIn through Headliner. Um, often, you know, I'll post on Instagram when we're going live and, and on Twitter and then we'll cut up some photos if it's live and, and videos and maybe upload, you know, different beats of content and then keep people reminded over a period of time. Because if you, you know, if you go to one event, like I think I've, I've honestly probably got three headshots um, and those are over three different speaking engagements over a period from 2011 to 2019. But, you know, for damn sure I, I repurpose the hell out of those things. Oh, absolutely. And there's going to be things that you share at an event that you can put into like a quote template, you know, or other that other people share and then you can acknowledge them and tag them in. Mm. Yeah, I think that's actually the key. If anything, if, you know, if there's one thing that people take away from this podcast, it's the fact that there's always an opportunity to capture content and long-form content. You can get 30 to 40 pieces of other content out, even like mini GIFs and short grabs, as you said before. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and I guess that you know some people call it the c word these days. It can be because uh, <laughs> I guess people overuse the word content a lot, right? So it's yeah. about finding that balance, like you said. If you make one quality piece of info, if you do one keynote speech that takes you an hour and a half, and you know, let's say five hours to prepare, or you do one long form podcast, you can slice and dice that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess. Um, you know, copy pasting this from athletes. Then you've made a move into the corporate and CEO type world. So I'd love for you to draw some similarities between the ways that you help, you know, boost an athlete's profile and a CEO's profile. Mm, well, they're, they're, they're very similar, actually. Um, in terms of their attitudes, you know, you, you find CEOs to be you know, hungry to learn and 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 grow and lead, and mm. well, they're just they're always willing to look at something to see if it fits them or not and so with and it's not for everyone like with every athlete you know this you don't have to do this this is just an opportunity right now which is prime for the taking before you know the wave goes and you're too late and so with the ceos it's really understanding you know who they are and what they stand for their values and then how they can add value back to the company so it's not just specifically about kind of beating the own their own chest by saying i'm a ceo and this is what i do every day and these are the books i'm reading but more around them as a person, attracting a different audience, then linking it back to the company to really you know, give the company a face. Um, the other day I saw on LinkedIn um, this, uh, the ANZ CEO, Shane, I can't remember his surname, that is so bad. I've mm. just forgotten. But anyway, the video caught my attention and he'd done it in a really good way where they'd showcase the day in the life of when he gets up, what he does, but he was giving some great advice. And for me watching it, I was like, I actually, for the first time ever, feel really connected to ANZ. And I I think I kind of trust them a bit more now. Mm. And so putting themselves out there in a way that they're approachable and they're adding value, absolutely, but then, yeah, seeding it back to the company's values as well. The other great thing is um, we're working with a few COOs looking for new job roles. They were building up their own profiles really just to go to that next level in their career in terms of creating a website, getting a logo done, Mm. creating a video, and really then actively going out to specific brands they wanted to work with to – you know, talk a little bit more about about them and the value they can bring. 
And one of them actually made that transition from developing that video and that website. So it works. And we're going to start to see more and more of these types of, um, I suppose, activation from senior leaders um, become more prevalent on social media. Yeah. It's just they just understand, you know, how it has an impact on the company. Um, and then usually, you know, many of them are prepared to give it a red hot shot, leave from the front. Yeah, and I definitely think you're right. Um, but can you give us some situ- some situations or scenarios of ways that it that it hasn't gone well for people trying to broadcast themselves online? Um, a few would come to mind. Um, I think if you're doing this, it really has to come from you. And if you're going to, you know, I've seen a few CEOs and agencies, and the wording's not right, or hmm. it just it doesn't come across well. So that can give a bad impact in terms of perception of only you, but also the brand that you represent. Hmm. And, and then also the content, like if you're just putting out bland content, then again, that just is not a good impression whatsoever. I think lastly, if you are building up your individual brand, it's a bit of a risk potentially to the company as well. If you've got a lot of um, their follow base following you, and um, that could, could be deemed to be a risk, but there's always ways around working around like what, you know, whether that's a good thing or not. Yeah, and I think the big one is when you can tell that they're not tweeting their own content and they're not creating, you know, their own words. It's it's quite obvious when there's a PR firm, you know, sitting on the CEO's side that's that's creating these words that are being tweeted out instead of the actual human themselves. Well, totally. And we all know it, right? Mm. Just think, wow, just press the pause button or don't go into this space. Like, again, like with the athletes and CEOs, you have to be all chips in and you have to be hungry for it and it has to come from – from you, yes, you can get expert advice, but at the end of the day, it's from the heart. Yeah, and that's maybe something we can learn from politicians. Like you see this a lot um, with Australian political accounts is the the personal tweets from, you know, Julia Gillard or someone like that will be tagged with her name there. So you can tell when it's, you know, the PR side of things that's saying, hey, they're going to be here doing this speech that that's, you know, the boring mandatory keep you updated posts, but the ones that actually come from the heart, they are tagged by the person. Yeah. Good strategy. Mm, exactly. So do you think we're going to see a lot of these older, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, greyhead suits start to come over to Twitter or will it take uh, the newer, you know, as we guess we're seeing millennials get older and into these positions, will we not see people jumping on or adopting until that happens? Well, I, I definitely start to see, um, you know, more of that the senior person within the team that's, you know, 40, 50, 60-year-old like really starting to become more aware and educate themselves on the possibilities of it. At the end of the day, they're smart people, right? They've, they've come from wherever they were to obviously wherever they are now, which is in a senior position, and they're a leader. They have qualities, so they understand that, you know, they need to learn and they need to be aware of the opportunities and the possibilities before they take that next step. So I definitely do see more and more coming across for sure, and we're actually having some conversations with, with a few right now in terms of, you know, how do we best position them in, how much time have they got, um, and really working around their schedule to ensure that the, the time they do have available, they really are being really impactful with this. Mm. And for sure, like it, I guess, you know, we've touched on this a few times already, but touching on it again, can't stress enough how hard it is internally to convince yourself that it's worth taking out time to make content. I've had that struggle yeah. myself a lot. And most of my business success, to be honest, over 50% has been purely from LinkedIn. So given that, it must be so hard to convince a CEO who's, you know, on a pay packet of $2 million and managing 5,000 staff and a, you know, multi-billion dollar business. It must be hard sometimes to convince them that, hey, you know, put down the email, pick up your iPhone and take some selfie videos, please. Yeah, yeah look, it, it's, it's sometimes the, the first couple of months, yes, but if you link it back to what they love, 
So with one particular CEO we're working with at the moment, like they're really into the property, they're really into sport, they're really into travel, and they're really into, really into health and wellness. Mm. And so if you can link it back to what they enjoy, it becomes a little bit more effortless and easy for them to do it. If you can put a spin on it in terms of this will then help you get to here. If, you, if you're coming at them with a whole bunch of content that you need, then there is there is a bit more resi- resilience, sorry, resilience, resistance. Mm. However, if you can tie into everything they're already doing, oh, you know, you're speaking at this university, do you think it's possible for us to actually get in and film you? Or would it be possible for you to just do it behind the scenes quickly before you go on? Like mm. you drip feed it all and they start to see the success. And some of them take it by both hands and are just really empowered by it. Whereas when we first started with them, they just couldn't see themselves being in that space. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to ride that confidence and, and ride that beat of content, right? Like I've, I've found in myself too when you might have a week where people aren't, aren't as engaging or sometimes it's even just one live stream where people don't engage as much and suddenly you go, oh, no, does no one care about me anymore? Does no one want to see this content? And, I, you know, you can feel that self-doubt come in. But, you know, when people are engaging with your content, that's, you know, when you start to ride high. So you just got to weather the storm, you know, as with any market, right, and, and keep putting out what you're putting out. Totally. And I think as well, it's about talking about other people, not just about yourself. Like like we're having this conversation and, and you do extremely well where you get into the mindset of other people and you're both adding value throughout the call. But it doesn't have to be about you. It can, it can be about anyone. For example, I do on a Friday, I follow Friday and um, I just go through LinkedIn. And I'm like, who's really added value to me this week that I can actually share that with my community? Mm. And there you posts that go down really, really well when you're talking about someone else and what they're you know, what you've learned from them and how you've implemented that and the success you've seen. Mm, exactly. So let's let's transpose this um, across into the esports market then. We've had a few discussions off recording with, with you, myself, and, and Andrew Walton, who's the who's a lovely man that brought us together about um, some opportunities in the esports space for athletes there to build their own personal profile and some of your understanding of what they're really missing out on doing right now. Oh, incredible opportunity a massive gap at the moment which will um obviously start to shrink i think right now um if if you're an esports athlete um, and you you're hungry for whether it's money and um, exposure you want more people to be playing the game whatever it is that you want social media your individual personal brand is definitely going to be able to help you fast track that as opposed to not putting yourself out there mm. and what you'll start to find is over the next year and two years you know some of these younger kids are jumping on board. We'll see the opportunity and I'll take it with both hands. And, you know, the people in the space today that aren't, aren't leveraging that opportunity will we'll start to miss out and we'll start to have a bit of a boo and a cry and, oh, you know, it's like, you know, Instagram, when, when it first started, everyone that was savvy and, and hungry or curious got on. And now it's so hard to get cut through, right? It's so hard to get cut through, but that's why we're moving to LinkedIn. Um, the same with me when I jumped on board in 2008. It was really easy for me to start to grow my brand and get my, my voice heard and, you know, share what we were doing. But now it's, it's good because we've got the followers and the attention. But if I did it right now, it would be so much harder. So what I'm saying is, like, if you are an esports athlete and you, 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 have, a, you have a really strong why around what you want to do on social media, what you want to get out of it, I'd really start to think about a plan and how you can actually start to attack this space now before it gets too late. Yeah, and I and I want to touch on it again. Um, you know, I guess repeat myself to say from personal experience, and this is for any players who are listening or people who are wanting to talk to players about this. I understand how busy the schedule is and how hard it can seem to to create things. 
But my answer is that, A, this is why if you're a larger, you can get an agency on board, you know, such, such as with yourself, or at least create some kind of calendar to yourself and keep yourself accountable. Even if it's just basic, making basic tweets and, um, you know, interacting with your audience in a basic way. Because, you know, I've seen this so much and it happens a lot in some games like StarCraft and Dota 2, especially, where players won't tweet for two, three months at a time. And they're just missing out. And you look at the players who simply tweet, even within the same team. And I don't, I don't want to call out this exact team, but they're a very well-known tier one team. And one of the players in the team tweets a lot. He's got like 200,000 followers. The rest of the players, they're equally as good. They're equally as skilled and have been around for as long as this person at a similar level. They don't tweet very often, Twenty to 30,000 followers. So you can just see that difference simply by just talking to people. Uh, absolutely. And what happens well, it's sometimes um, people struggle for content. They're like, oh, you know, maybe they won't want to see that. You tell your story. Like everyone's got a really interesting story. How did you get into it? What are you learning? Mm. You know, what are some of your techniques, how-tos? And it doesn't have to be just about gaming and esports. It can be about your lifestyle. You know, are you into sport or what books are you reading or how are you growing as within the esports space? Like you just need to understand what you want to get out of social media. Mm. And then reverse engineer that back and then you have a why and then you, you have more of a compelling reason why you will start to take action by, you know, tweeting and creating some content, assessing the feedback and even putting yourself out there to brands, you know. Brands are now getting really curious in this space and starting to invest and some of them are heavily investing in an individual athlete or team. Mm. So, again, if you can start to build up that profile in a professional way and where, you know, you know, you say you want to attack three different brands, okay, put yourself out there and, and start to make some noise around those brand values and your values as well. It's the time is now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, look, it makes me feel so old. Uh, when I say things like this, but I think once again, it's something we can learn from the younger generations and, and the Gen Z and looking at things like TikTok and using Jade as another example, you know, making two to three TikTok videos alone per day. She's got 1.1 million followers and some of her videos don't crack 10,000 views. So for someone who's more traditional on YouTube, where you spend a lot of time editing and creating content, you know, that would be very disheartening for you because A, ad revenue would go down, B, it probably shows that your audience isn't resonating. But with TikTok, it doesn't matter. It's seriously just about producing as much content as you can, being yourself and having fun. And she'll literally have one video with 9,900 views and the next one will have 400,000 views. Just talking on Jade as well, I'm following her on LinkedIn. Um, if there was another piece of gold advice that people took from this, it would be to get on LinkedIn right now. Mm. Like if you're looking to align with partners and brands, um, get on LinkedIn because that's where that audience is. And they probably aren't on TikTok. Yes, that's where your following is going to be. Mm. But um, if you start to create, you know, some attention around yourself in a meaningful way and, and they see you as sticky, it's a very easy pathway to start to attract brands and, and I suppose partnership opportunities right now. Yeah, and that's definitely good. You know, for, for those who've been following uh, my content, obviously a pretty pretty big TikTok shill at the moment and, um, yeah. and you know, have been for LinkedIn for a long time. And I, I get this question so much with, you know, where do I start on LinkedIn? You know, I don't have a good profile. And literally just say, join the conversation. Follow, you can follow hashtags on LinkedIn for those people who don't know. So follow the hashtag gaming, follow esports, follow digital marketing, and then add something to a conversation. Don't just use the LinkedIn auto things of when it's someone's birthday or whatever you click the hey congrats or happy birthday because you know that that really sucks and it makes people unfollow you but join in a conversation if someone's talking about an esports topic ask them a question to elaborate on that or add something on 
you know, obviously you don't want to detract from, from what they're saying because it's their content, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can actually add something into the conversation, I've built, you know, proper partnerships with people, say like Herb May, who I've done a bunch of LinkedIn live streams with and various content on LinkedIn back and forward because of exactly that. You know, I'd never heard of him before. He just started asking questions on my posts and joining in with some extra tidbits of information and we built a friendship off the back of that. That's that's really good advice, Chris. It just shows that they're interested, not just interesting. Mm. Another thing to just consider as well, like you, you're going to be meeting people offline. I'm really big at this. I don't do the business cards anymore. It's just about like on the QR code on LinkedIn, just link up with as many people as possible before, yeah. you know, the algorithm starts to slow down. Um, you want to be building up as many connections as you can offline and then bringing that conversation back online again. Yeah, the business card thing. Let's, <laughs> let's have a chat about that. That's really interesting. I don't use business cards as well and I get so many weird looks from people. I just go, are you, are you on LinkedIn? We were at this Google for Sport event the other week and um, one of the ladies was like, oh, you know, have you got a business card? And I said, no, let's just catch up on LinkedIn. Like, I said, are you on LinkedIn? She said, yeah. And I just pulled out the QR code and she goes, what's that? And I went, well, you can it and then we'll, we're linked. She's like, wow. I'm like, God, you're Google. You didn't know this? Maybe it was just one individual. But, yeah, that's just a way of doing it. And then you take on board the conversation from there. And yeah. sometimes you've got to remember it's not it's not who it's not who you know it's who they know that maybe you don't know as a secondary connection that could help you out. It might not just be them. Mm, yeah, exactly right. And I remember coming back from business trips in Taiwan when I was with um, Thermaltake and Corsair for many years. I've been over there probably eight times for work. And I remember coming back each time with like eighty business cards. You know, two of which I actually wanted. <laughs> so you know, I guess it helps save the trees as well, right? Yes, exactly. We're all about saving the trees. Exactly. Got to keep eco-conscious. Once again, you know, if I talk about Gen Zs much more, I'm going to have to pinch myself. But, you know, you got to, you got to follow what the new people want, right? you got to follow what the market's exactly. interested in. So um, I guess let's, let's touch on some of the possibilities beyond just building a, a profile. Like why are these people building a profile? Can you break it down in, into a couple of different reasons? Obviously, we've touched on them, but I'm wondering if you can build me a, a pseudo list. Yeah, sure. So some people are building profile for influence, um, meaning that, you know, they may have gone through some kind of mental health problem and they want to be able to then share their story. So basically influence and help other people to be aware of, you know, how they can shortcut, not shortcut that, be more aware of what they've done to be able to help themselves, you know, get through it or manage it. And others are pretty entrepreneurial. So again, like building up their brand awareness, then launch an e-com store or Mm. to launch a book or, um, you know, get onto the speaker's circuit or run some events, do some consultancy. Uh, there's there's so many, you know, reasons why people build brand. And, you know, ultimately, most of them that, that come to us are, yeah, we want to make some money. But, yeah, off the back of that, what will that give you and, and how are you going to make the money and what are you going to give back? Yeah, and I think um, the – professional building their profile is something that's new and something that seems kind of scary to a lot of people. You see a lot of negativity on Twitter about people on LinkedIn. And obviously there are good and bad in every platform, right? There's people on Twitter that all they do is abuse people. There's people on LinkedIn and all they do is take pictures of their watch and talk about how successful they are. Like understanding that every social platform has its pitfalls. But I think that the the reason I talk about it so much is the immense amount of personal success I've had literally from just sharing what I'm doing and mentoring some people in the past and saying, look, if you want to build influence, 
most people in esports go to pretty much everything. We go into PAX Australia, we go to Melbourne Esports Open, we go to the local LAN tournaments, and I just say to them, if you're there, just take a, po- a photo and literally post it and say, hey, I'm here. And if a potential employer is looking through your LinkedIn or looking for someone, they might go, well, damn, Sam really knows what she's talking about because she's literally at every single event. So by being there, she must know something. If nothing else, how to use Ticketmaster, but she's getting in the door somehow, right? Yeah, right. It's like drip feeding it and, and yeah, making people aware of what you're doing. And like, I'm so curious about this esports space right now since Andrew Welton had opened my eyes up to it. Mm. And after meeting you and hearing your stories and understanding brands and where they want to invest and where I think the number's going, um, just like back in 2008, like just noticing that there's more and more people jumping on Twitter. I'm curious to find out. I'm going to listen and learn before I start to speak. But once I do understand, then, you know, putting yourself out there, people are going to say some shitty things about you. They'll say some good things about you. And I think it's about making yourself pretty bulletproof to know what, like, who cares? Like, as long as you know your why and why you're on there, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. As long as you're moving forward and helping yourself and, you know, helping others for the greater good, then, you know, give a give a fuck like what anyone else says. Yeah, exactly. And that, bro, and, and gosh, we, we all make mistakes, right? You can put a piece of content up and it bombs out, but you learn from it. Mm. And I think a lot of it is, yeah. and you know, I've, I've had some praise come through, so I'm glad that some of the listeners have been noting, noticing this, is I'm just trying to be as honest as possible at all times and admit when you're wrong. And I think that's a very important thing that, you know, I might release a piece of content with an article. This happened to me. I distinctly remember happening this happening for the first time like a year ago. I released an article where some of the numbers weren't uh, probably weren't right. So, you know, I went back and edited the post and straight at the start of the post, I said, look, guys, I've, I've made this post, but, you know, the source is unconfirmed for me and I haven't been able to back it up. So, you know, take this information with a grain of salt. Or if people try to correct some things that I say, you know, in one podcast, I'll make sure to outline in the next as much as possible. And you garner so much respect from people rather than just being a bull and um, charging through. And, you know, some people are suited for that Gary Vee style of content, but not everybody has to be, you know, really bombacious and saying, look, here's the here's the thing every single podcast, every single time you release content. Yeah, yeah. That just makes you, like, relatable. Like, cause we all make mistakes and I think I saw you put that post out. I'm like, good on you. Mm, yeah. It's, and it's hard <laughs> because you go, oh crap. <laughs> like, really? yeah. But. And I guess for me, like, like the last podcast, um, that I did, or it'll be two podcasts ago by the time this one comes out, which is 54 with Jeff Pabs from FaZe, and him saying that, you know, even though FaZe is kind of the biggest thing in esports and influencers right now, they take their position very seriously, that they don't want to spread any misinformation, they don't want to do things wrong, they don't want to burn sponsors, because mm-hmm. honestly, they can afford to, because they're so big that if, you know, they have a bad relationship with a sponsor, they can tell them to get stuffed and they'll just go pick up another one, they'll have no problem doing that but I find myself in the same position as well, where, you know, I take this very seriously Seriously, that I want to make sure that I'm spreading the right and concise information at all times because I don't want to be accountable for, you know, the growth of an industry not in not in the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the end, it, it hurts. It hurts all of us, right? It does. It does. But yeah, the more self aware, the the more we can continuously keep green and growing and changing and providing. Exactly. So I guess what you get out of this conversation is be be Skynet, be self aware, and, and you're good to go. <laughs> Watch the dollars come in. Exactly, exactly. Watch the dollars come in. So, speaking of dollars, good segue. Um, so, obviously, that's you know that's one of the reasons that um, talent, uh, especially in the sporting and esporting sense, will get into it. So, can you provide me with a case study of uh, a player that has gotten into building the social influence, which has enabled them to have a life after sport and income after sport and be sustainable? 
That is a really good question. And I'm predominantly working with a lot of players still in sport. Um, however, one comes to mind, Chris Rogers. Um, he, he used to be the opening batsman for Australia. This was a couple of years ago now. But um, I said to him, you know, what, what's life look like after sport? I said, you know what? I actually don't know. And, and he hadn't thought about it. And a lot of athletes don't think about it. it it's crazy, actually. Um, but I suppose if you're engrossed in that professional game, then that's who you see you are. So I had a conversation with him and opened up, you know, other ideas and interests. And he said, oh, you know, I'd like to write a book. and I'd like to get into coaching. I wouldn't mind doing some media. And I said, Chris, we need to start doing this right now on social. We need to start framing you for where you want to be next. And we went through this whole values-based conversation and you know, who are you and what do you stand for and what's your vision and what's your mission? And once we got through that, then we started to develop some pieces of content. So then when he did transition into media, he had a show reel. He could already say, go and look at my Twitter account, go and check out um, Instagram, go and check out LinkedIn. Um, and, and when he went for that coaching role after he'd moved on from the Australian cricket team, he had all of these, you know, fan engagement and he had how-to posts and, and so on and so forth. So he was really pre-setting himself up for success after he transitioned. And one of the things he did say to me was that he just said, he, he you know, he really found himself and a lot of athletes tend to lose himself after sport, whereas he'd found himself and identified like other skills that he didn't realize he had, mm. like in terms of writing his own book. So it's it's so, so important. Like you're never going to be that professional athlete forever. I mean, you could just get into the team and then get injured. So always looking for a backup plan or how to integrate everything you're doing within sport, outside of sport as well. That's why social media and personal branding is just so perfect right now. Yeah, and for anyone who wants to look more at that, there's some interesting content that came out from Jono Simpson, who works at Players Tribune. Um, he released um, a whole bunch of stats on the Australian Football League, AFL here in Australia, and looking at the players who have the most growth over the season, looking at the highest followed accounts, and a bit of analysis onto you know how they get that. And the difference is staggering between even top-level players will have, you know, 2,000 followers on Twitter where someone like Patrick Dangerfield, I believe it was, who, who plays for the Geelong Cats, is sitting at like 130K and a lot of his tweets are getting two to three to 4,000 likes. Oh, absolutely. He's put himself out there and then he can transition into wherever he wants to be next, like creating his next role, whether he's an entrepreneur or moves into EY, I'm not sure. Or There's just so much that can come off the back of that. Yeah. Because you're already who he is and you understand him and he engages. Yeah, definitely. And his advantage is he's pretty funny and he's a bit weird. So it's definitely interesting content that guy puts out. <laughs> like that, hashtag witty. Yeah. And once again, it's just, you know, to reiterate, a lot of his content doesn't have a lot of effort. Like one of his funniest videos I saw was his, he had a child on his lap and he's yelling into the microphone about how they're going to play that week and he's so excited and people need to buy tickets right now and he's overhyping it on purpose. And I, I had a good laugh. I thought it was great. And, you know, literally that video took him 45 seconds to shoot. He hit upload and then he walked away. Yeah, there you go. Sometimes it doesn't take long at all. You can just do it in the moment. Mm. Like, I just like Sometimes, like, I'll just have – so yesterday someone tagged me in an Insta story and said, oh, it was really humbling actually, and said, oh, you know, three people that inspire me today are Motivational Monday at Sam Utimer because of. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put up an Instagram post right now because I think there's a lot of people that produce a lot of content, but sometimes they don't actually go on the other end of engaging with it as well, mm. meaning go outwardly engaging. So I just popped that post up to her and just put the message around, we need to engage as much as we produce content, we need to – spend time actually going out and engaging with others around it as well. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And, and a, a, a trap that I see people falling into like that is is when highly successful social people like Joe Rogan, et cetera, say that, you know, I don't read comments and don't engage with people, which is fine because where he sits in the market and how large he is, it's impossible. You know, he can't. Or you've got someone who's semi-disconnected like Jocko Willink, who's, you know, Navy Sealer has a very popular podcast, um, who will at least like every single post. You know, he's yeah. obvious that he can't reply to thousands of people per day because he wouldn't get any work done. But just finding your fit, you know, within that. Obviously, you don't have to reply to everyone, but you know, people feel acknowledged. I, I had a friend, or still have a friend, who works in PR, and he has a very strong personal profile and, and very high rating within his friends and within his the wider business community. And I noticed that one of his strategies is on Facebook. Every single person that replies, he likes their comment, mm. Mm. and it really I'm makes sorry. people feel involved. Oh, it does. But then actually outwardly off your channels going and actually following or liking or commenting on someone else's, like we represent a, a, a serious amount of brands. And, you know, sometimes when we comment on individuals, um, let's say, for example, PTP with the resistance bands, you, you can't, you copy, oh, I can actually not speak right now. Edit, delete, undo. <laughs> if you actually go out and they've tagged you and you say, thanks so much, or we'd love to, we'd love to see you doing that workout, or that's a great workout. Um, mean so much to them they come back and they're like wow you know i can't believe you acknowledge me thank you just doesn't take much time at all to come out and do that yeah exactly and it's it's taking learnings from another platform like twitch tv right where for those who don't know most of the time or a lot of the time people are really donating or providing money to the streamer simply for their attention because if you've got a large streamer that, <clears throat> excuse me, has too many comments to read in their live chat, by donating to them, it obviously gives a text-to-speech and it gives a pop-up that the streamer is going to thank you for personally and then read out. So people will pay for the privilege to do so. Um, so why not do that on social media for free and take, you know, three seconds, cut out 10 minutes of your day every day while you're having a morning coffee or whatever to go and do that? Mm-hmm. Your device, Chris. Yeah, and I think touching on it again for you know the people who are extremely busy, um, because this is a very common thing. You know, I follow the um, jujitsu um, scene quite closely as a junior practitioner myself, and you know they're discussing a lot about training for the top level versus running seminars versus sponsorship, and you know looking at some of these esports player. Um, like one who we're working at the, with at the moment, you know, their schedule is crazy. This guy barely has any time to train, let alone to play in all of his tournaments. And so I think building that schedule to keeping yourself accountable is so important. And I'm a fan of um, calendarizing your life in saying yeah. that, you know, if you're going to the movies, put it in a calendar. If you want to go have dinner with your grandparents, put it in your calendar. And the same way that every single day I have a calendar post that says make LinkedIn post, that if I haven't done one by that stage, that prompts me to go and do it. Mm-hmm. That's a good strategy. It's like knowing what you want to get out of the week before you get it started, planning it in, as you said. Mm, exactly. Yeah, bullet journaling, however you want to look after yourself, you know, they're all they're all good ways, but make, keeping yourself accountable is a great way to do so. Right. Yeah, so let's change the conversation a bit then from – so we've talked a lot about esports and traditional sports and business people within, you know, boosting their personal profile. Let's have a chat about uh, a large part and, and another side of your business, which is brands and getting involved with esports and gaming. So I guess um, to kick off the conversation with you, I think it's a great segue in the fact of uh, things I've talked about so much on LinkedIn and my podcast is we initially connected because you saw the hype of esports, but it turns out that gaming is probably where's a best fit for a lot of the brands you represent. Mm, absolutely. Um, I've just become more and more cur- curious, Chris, just like listening to your podcast, following you, following others, going to esports events. And, you know, there is so much opportunity there for brands because where, you know, there's eyeballs and attention, there's opportunity. And I just see more and more 
you know, people consuming this type of content and engaging. And obviously there's, there's tribe, there's like thick, heavy tribes of, um, yeah, bulletproof people like spending time together. And of course with brands, you know, they need to capture the consumer's attention and mm. this space is ready for it. Um, you know, highly engaged market, growing rapidly, um, you know, being able to storytell in this space is is of huge opportunity, and and you know that's why one of our clients right now we're we're, we're working with you around an activational piece because they do see the opportunity and they want to get in early. Mm, exactly, and, and test, test and learn. Can you give a couple of examples of of brands that um, you've seen that have gotten into esports in an authentic way that you've enjoyed as an outside marketer? That is a really great question. I need to spend more time looking into that. What I do know is that um, I remember a year ago, we were following up Red Bull with a couple of athletes that we represented and, and they said to us, uh, look, we, we're actually not looking for any more athletes. We, we're looking for, you know, have you got anyone in the esports space? Mm. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, two or three years ago. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So just watching their type of content over time evolve and, and how they storytell through that the individual as opposed to sometimes brands. It's one that has captured my attention, but it's certainly something, Chris, that I want to go away and explore more of. Yeah. Make the time. And I, and I think people count Red Bull as a default within esports, but I would say they're probably really the first non-endemic brand, which is what the industry calls brands that you know aren't inherent to the esports space. They're the first non-endemic brand to become an endemic over a long period of time. You know, thinking back to like 2012, they were ran, running fantastic StarCraft tournaments where they flew a lot of the top pros from all over the world to one place, from everywhere from Korea to Ukraine to um, to Germany to Australia. They got the pros to play in a tournament, but also ran a semi for them behind the scenes and taught them about health and nutrition, taught them about working, um, you know, as a professional, looking after yourself. And, you know, I think these are things that people forget when the brand just becomes so synonymous with gaming and esports now. Mm, sure. Mm. And once again, content. <laughs> that's what, that's what yeah. uh, we've been talking about today, right? And that's what Red Bull produces a lot of and has done very well. Uh, exactly. And, and, you know, the other brands out there, they are gagging for content and they're gagging for you know, gamers' stories so then they can actually share that content on their own social channels because a lot of brands are struggling to actually connect at the moment. Like one of the ways absolutely they can connect is through social, but if they don't have the content in-house, they have to lean on or leverage, um, you know, individual stories or content to enable them to then get content to share. So, you know, the space for brands is phenomenal in terms of being able to gain the stories of individuals within this space and being able to share it to the wider market. But on the flip side of the individual or the personal brand, how you can start to grow at scale and speed is to partner up with a brand because your content's going out on their, their channels and they're attacking you and vice versa. That's just one you know, really simple way to start to grow over time with a brand. Mm. It's a win-win. And what, what are some of the main points, I guess, and, and you've kind of said this in a long form, but are you able to short form it? You know, when when most people inside esports are pitching out, they're talking about the demographics and they're talking about the highly engaged digital audience. Are those two things that you also have, have attached on as an outsider looking in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as a brand, it's like, you know, has this individual got the market we want to get in front of? Are they highly engaged? Um, you know, are their values aligned with ours? Um, does their content look good? Um, can we build a partnership with them over time? More and more brands now are looking for longer-term partnerships, a year or two, as opposed to just an ad hoc campaign here and there. Mm. They may try it initially, but then they really want to go all chips in. If an individual can meet a brand's objectives in terms of enabling more brand awareness, engaging with a consumer or driving traffic to a website or to an event, then tick, tick, tick. And it's down mm. to the individual to be able to provide that or the agency that's working with them back to the brand to say, you know what? 
you invested X amount in radio and X amount in in us and Facebook ads, and we bought this amount of returns in terms of exposure and engagement, which was some of the brand's objectives. So they start to measure all that up. And what's the, what's the main pushback for you, and, and what kind of roadblocks or speed bumps do you have to get around or, or get over for these brands to convince them to come into the space? It's an unfamiliar space for them right now. Mm. It, re- it really is. I think it's, something, they, it's, it's kind of like five years ago where you're like, oh, you know, social media. I kind of feel like it's going to take off or maybe probably 10 years ago. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure, but I'm curious, and I feel like the brands are at this curiosity stage right now. But if you can show them a way that's going to meet their objectives, which is usually brand awareness, engaging with the market, and some kind of transactional element where it's a competition or a giveaway or driving people to the website, then most of them are open to it, like Mm. those markets. But it just hasn't fully got there yet because, again, I don't believe that within, and tell me if I'm wrong, but within the esports space or the gamer space that there's enough individual strong personal brands out there to start to raise the profile of this sport. No, you're right, 100%. And also something I've been very vocal in um, talking down about the esports industry is there's nowhere near enough case studies. And I I talked about this in length in a a LinkedIn live stream sometime last week. You know, off the top of my head, I have at at least a dozen very successful influencer case studies ranging from influencers with 7,000 followers up to 5 million YouTube subscribers. However, unfortunately, within esports, I've only really got one which is FaZe selling 500 grand worth of champion hoodies in five minutes and then more after that. But And obviously that's a great case study in itself, but FaZe did that mainly off the back of their influences. So I, I feel like as an industry, we really need some more case studies as well to be able to present to these brands. Mm, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the more people are out there, the more individual personal brands are out there talking about the sport, you know, the more awareness about the sport and and. Again, brands have more visibility around that and how they can fit in there. Mm, yeah, exactly. And touching on like what you were saying before about you know getting in early before the upscale in pricing and to oh. to quantify that for people in the Australian means, you know, one of the highest earning teams in Australia um, was talking to their CEO the other day, and and they're earning five hundred k per annum in revenue um, off sponsorship. And that's also um, bundled in with one of the companies is, is about 70K for the year alone, which is a little bit of Twitch advertising consultancy. I mean, if you compare that to this same team, I remember talking to them at PAX Australia, which is about this time um, in 2017, I believe it was, and they were sitting at 110K revenue at that stage. So you can see that that advancement. Yeah, and the dollar figures will continue to go. So again, like with the brands that we're working with, we're saying get in early because you'll be paying two, three, four times what you'll be paying right now a year from now. Mm. If, if- tackling the way it's going right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, the way that you and I are tackling this is is the way that um, that I'd love to expose to others in using a brand to do a test case first, to spend a few thousand dollars to say, hey, let me show you that the market is real, that gamers are real, and they are willing to transact and interact, and then we'll jump into something more after that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Great. I use the word pilot with them. <laughs> I like the word Brands pilot. Love- Pilot that, we'll pilot that, and then we'll have evidence-based approach, then go forwards for a long-term partnership. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's, let's let's keep it a bit wider, I guess, now with brands. What what sort of industries would you like to see in esports that people mightn't think may be a natural fit or just ones that you think would be perfect for the space? Obviously, you know, food and beverage, pretty obvious. Quick, quick service restaurants, pretty obvious. Automotive, maybe not initially obvious, but in esports in a large way across the world. The most recent one I saw actually was um, a Taiwanese Blizzard League is sponsored by Mitsubishi, which I think is their first entrant into anywhere in esports globally. So what kind of industries do you think would would be a good fit next? Do you know, this is a great question, Chris. 
my my hunger and my drive and my determination right now to bring a superannuation firm into this space uh-huh. would be my dream. I think that you know with that younger demographic, that younger generation, they're not thinking about you know money after they've retired. It's like how can this superannuation brand actually be real and add value to them, like or even cross promoting with another brand, but actually adding value within this space somehow. Mm. And be about super, like. I just, I'm, I'm so close to getting it together in my head before, and I've got three superannuation brands I'm going to go out to, but um, I think it's right for opportunity right now for them. Yeah, fantastic. I think th- there's a good, um, there's a good case study online for yourself or for anyone else to look at, which is around DHL as well, and and them being, right. you know, really non-sexy brands, but getting into the gaming space too. There's there's so much to learn about that. And, you know, I guess that's a big challenge, right? You know, kind of a quote-unquote boring brand. How do you get them into this exciting industry of esports? Mm, they need it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny a compelling reason why. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they, they do, and super absolutely need it in terms of engaging their members and engaging their employers, like, to be able to leverage off of something. You know, all the, the wealth of knowledge and entertainment and activity and Entertain, yeah, entertainment, as I said before, in this space is um, something that yeah they need to jump on sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I guess touching on something else here about getting brands into the space, one thing I'd love to talk about is, um, and, the, and the, the note I have written down here that I'd like to say word for word is, brands need guidance as much as they need to spend. And I'd love some opinions for you on how to stay non-biased. And this is for you, not only just pitching esports, but just talking to a new brand with yourself as an agency. How do you get past the fact that you are biased and you have something to sell for your for-profit company to really wanting the brand to authentically interact in the space, whether it's with you or with someone else? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, Chris, I never go in, like, when I'm speaking with a brand, I never go in, like, with... I'm going to, you know, you need to do this. Mm. Um, I'll go in and listen and I kind of gauge where they're at. You know, are, are, is there a lot of red tape or are they open to trial and opportunity? I do believe in the esports space. From what I've seen so far, I, I believe it's a bloody great option right now in terms of the early adoption phase. And um, so I would, I, w- I would definitely float it, but I wouldn't push it. Just looking for three or four different opportunities just to find where it's sticky and then go from there. But, yeah, uh, Maybe it is, but I'm not sure. But if I believe in something and I believe that brand needs to start playing that space right now for the greater good of my client, I will definitely put it forward. Mm. And I and, and I can't yeah. and I can't pretend to be perfect myself with this, but this is this is feedback I've got for those listening directly from brands a lot, in that they've had a lot of esports teams or events that have approached them with the under the guise of being there to help them get into esports, but really just trying to push them hard to sponsor exactly what they're doing. And, you know, there's that quote that I'm gonna butcher it that's something like, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So if you're an esports team, obviously every brand needs to sponsor an esports team because, you know, it's in your best bet it's in your best interest as a founder of a startup that's burning capital, you're trying to get that cash flow up. But understanding that sometimes it's important to go slow for you know yeah. the greater good of the industry and all those lovely quotes that people overuse like a rising tide lifts all boats and et cetera, et cetera. But you're more likely to get brands across the line. And, and that's some personal feedback I've had from a lot where a brand has said to me, look, Chris, I know that you have a commercial company, but I've really enjoyed our time together that you know, I am going to now feel comfortable to invest into esports. And I'm very open in saying to, to brands that, look, my bias is esports. So they know that bias as it comes 
to forward, but I don't care personally if you sponsor a player or an influencer or a team or a tournament. I just want to see your money get into esports some way. But it's also, I think, important to use that same line that you said with, um, you know, understanding whether a brand is even suited to that. And, you know, looking at Ben Parsons from Ministry of Sport, who we did the the No Bullshit seminar with last year, that was his opening address to all the brands um, and saying, look, you're here today to learn about esports, but the first thing to ask yourself is, are you even suited to this space? Once you answer yes, then you can go further. Mm-hmm. So very true. Mm, superannuation. I love it. I just think you're doing an injustice if you don't actually share the opportunities, though, to, to your client or to mm. brands. Like, Well, that's why I've really wrapped to join you today, but I'm really going to start to turn up content specifically on LinkedIn around this because, you know, you don't know what you don't know and it's about making sure these brands are aware and I love the fact you said be patient as well. They may not just jump on immediately, but if you can showcase, you know, how you tick three or four of their different boxes, then, you know, you've, you've captured their attention and I think it's just where yeah, we need to start, well, we need to continuously amplify this. Yeah, and and if you're in it if you're in it for growth and, you, and you're raising capital to play the long game, which you should be in esports, um, a rising tide really does lift all, all ships. And if you look at an exact example of, let's say you're an esports team, a sponsor comes to you, um, it turns out that a team's not the best for them, but it, it's best for them to sponsor an ESL tournament. Well, guess what? You win that tournament, the tournament's got a bigger prize pool. ESL's able to better fund itself to create a better tournament, to create more stories about your team, to help you grow followers. So in the end, yeah. you do win. It's just not directly. Yeah, fast is sometimes bad. <laughs> mm. Exactly right. Yeah, too too fast growth. And for for anyone who you know listens to a lot of startup podcasts and stuff, myself like I do, it's quite often where a startup founder will say our growth is actually killing us because you know we we were planning to lose a hundred dollars per customer, but now we have too many customers and we're losing twenty thousand dollars per day, which is you know not sustainable. Mm, exactly. Mm. But I, touching like what you said before, I love that idea about a superannuation brand into esports. The, the other one that I'd really like to see is white goods manufacturers, fridges, washing machines, Ooh. that kind of stuff. Because for me, um, using anecdotal evidence for myself, I moved out of home for a job in the industry when I was 19. I had no idea what fridge, what washing machine, what anything to buy. I don't watch TV at all. I don't read newspapers or magazines. Um, so, you know, I'm not even exposed. So, talking to a lot of these brands, what I try to get across to them is that, yes, it's a new space and it's confusing, but if you think where you are right now, you're not even an option for these people. You're not even on their radar. You're not even a start to be considered. So this is a, a great way for you to get in, to actually get access to that new brand. And I've been going over the discussion a lot recently with a, with a restaurant chain in a venue where they're hyper-focused on making direct ROI from events and they want to sell more drinks than they pay you know, to host a, a large-scale event there and saying to them, look, I understand that that's how it works for you in footy because you're big in that space, but you're not even an option for these people in gaming. They wouldn't yeah. be caught dead in your venue because because while your AFL patrons might have a preconceived idea that an esports player is a basement-dwelling Cheeto-eating nerd, um, they have a preconceived idea a lot of the time that an AFL fan is a VB-drinking person that's going to punch each other in the head. So you need to break mm. down those barriers and actually become an option and show both sides that neither of those are true. Mm. That's a very good point. Mm. I think there are opportunities, banks as well, finance, insurance, mm. just those yeah, those brands that just need to start to gain cut through within this market. Yeah, and once again, it's it's a way, like you were saying, to make a non-sexy thing sexy. The, the same way that, that you and your and your company work so much with these corporate CEOs who are so used to 
you know, whining and dining at the most expensive restaurants. They have to drive a car for status. They have to wear certain suits, talk certain ways in board meetings to then flip that around and be like, look, if you want to attract these new customers, you need to be authentic and genuine and be yourself because they're not going to resonate. And, and this is the conversation I've had with brands of all time. Don't turn up to an esports tournament in a suit because the, the patrons who are 18 years old at IEM Sydney who are drinking beers and, and yelling and having so much fun, they're not going to resonate with you if you're standing there in a $5,000 suit the same way that you might in a board meeting. Totally. Dress for your market, hey? Mm, exactly. And that's why I wear a, a black shirt and jeans. <laughs> we're both wearing hoodies right now, mate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Well, I mean, the, the Melbourne weather's taken a turn for the worse today, so might be might be a few more layers than that soon. Bring it. So the one of the last things we wanted to chat about today, I've, I've covered this briefly on the podcast before, which is around content that teams can produce, that they can provide, and, and we can uh, expand this to tournaments as well. So can you touch on for me about the importance of generating things outside of a logo slapping exercise for brands and, and some tips and, and advice that you can provide? Yeah, so... Um- so just to sure I got the question right, so for the individual team to start developing content to add value back to the brand, was that the question? Yeah, exactly. Or- and how, you know, developing a sponsorship proposal or a sponsorship package that's more than just slapping a logo on your name in game and, and on your jersey, how can someone effectively use content to do a proper promotion? Yeah, so being able to leverage, I suppose, um, the event before, so before behind the scenes, leveraging some of the individual players, you know, what are they going through? What's their thought process? You know, maybe you know how do they approach this and um, to yeah before the events really engaging with the crowd that's there and maybe even getting another crowd to stream in to watch and hmm. um, it's about leveraging the team's content and and really attaching the brand to it so it's powered by even getting the ceo down there and interviewing the team you know so then the ceo can actually share that on their social as well it's just i think it's just humanizing it for them and having many different touch points along the way where you know, looking at that team story and travel, how can that brand slot and fit in? Mm. And that's one thing I've been trying to push so much, that CEO angle. Um, I tried to push this with a with a new esports brand that came into Australia and, and with so many others too, is let's do a Facebook Live, a LinkedIn Live, a, a Twitch stream with your director of marketing global, your CEO, your COO, someone like that, and the head of the esports thing you're sponsoring together. And the CEO to be really open palm and say, look, esports is cool. This is why we're investing. We're really excited. We really enjoy it. Because the way I explain it so much with esports is the opposite to virtual reality. All of these technology brands and and big companies are saying, hey, consumer, you need to care about virtual reality. It's the future. Whereas besides a real small handful of my really nerdiest tech friends, no one cares too much about VR because it's it's unobtainable. Whereas esports has been the opposite. I distinctly remember a StarCraft II forum called SC2SEA back in around somewhere between 2011 and 2013. And the discussion coming up of, hey, Christmas is coming you need to make sure that you're talking to your family about esports. You might have an uncle that works at KPMG. You might have a cousin that's you know director of marketing at a large brand. So evangelize. Go out and tell people about esports. So for so long, esports people have been punching up. They've been saying, please care about me, please care about me. And now that if you have the opportunity for, once again, like a better term, a gray hair in a suit to say, hey, esports, you know, we do love you, we do care about you, that's going to resonate so much, so much more with the audience than and just yet another brand coming into the baseball or to NFL or to NRL or something like that. Totally, and, and not just the like the, the you know like with the, with the, the um, oh gosh the people that are attending these events. It's like engaging with them too, not just the the teams, but actually getting in the trenches and mm. and 
in the seats that they see and seeing it from their angle as opposed to just you know the angle that usually a CEO would see it from. And I, I feel like to to wrap up so much of what we talked about today, a lot of what we're saying is this isn't hard. It just takes time. That that's all it takes. Yeah. So is, I, I fully agree. Yeah, and and to tack onto it, yes, it's going to take time, but then it, just understanding like what you want, what, what we want to get out of it and, and, and sticking to it, setting the GPS and being patient and being consistent and, and growing and staying, dare I say, in the game long enough to keep alive because the momentum's now and it's just a case of, yeah, continuously keep, keep pushing, keep, keep being curious, keep trying new things. Mm. And I think for, for anyone who's looking at some great esports campaigns, I think Mercedes is fantastic. They've produced so many awesome videos that have given me, you know, goosebumps and hair standing up on my arms, showing people the journey of gamers and showing that Mercedes does care and, and that gamers are real people. I, I find that those videos they produced awesome. And, and for me, I don't normally like sponsored videos like that at all. I'm very boring. I watch a lot of documentaries. I watch a lot of video essays and analysis on things. So, you know, I think for that to resonate with me as being gamer and trying to punch up for a long time you know it resonated with me very well so hopefully it does for some other people too and the views and the like ratio say that it's going very well for them well done mercedes yeah fantastic one of the first uh kind of you know large non-endemic entrants into esports and they've come in, in a big way and they've stuck around which is which is good to see mm. so sam what's what's coming up next for you um, well, we are, we are, yeah, we're just diversing ourselves into the esports space, mate. Like, dare I say it? I just want to keep understanding the psychology, um, you know, the entertainment, what it what it gives people. And you know, for me, it's really a case of over the next six months, actually getting a brand to invest fully into either a team or an individual to be able to you know, add value to them and vice versa. That's that's what I'm hungry for. That's what's coming up next, as well as um, working with CEOs and and really you know, showing that they can be influencers as well. Like that Mercedes could be working with a CEO mm. so they can be, you know, creating content on the side as well. They're my two messages. And we've got a lot of uh, founders, executives and players that listen to this. So if they're interested in using your services to help build their profile, where can they contact you? They can contact us at thinktanksocial.com.au. Fantastic. And if someone wants to follow your content online, where can they do so? Uh, come follow me on LinkedIn, Sam Utima or Insta at Sam underscore Musma. Fantastic, Sam. Well, thanks so much for coming today. I'm really glad we had this discussion. I can't wait to follow it up in a week or so with the LinkedIn Live as well to get some feedback and some Q&A. Yes, bring it, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity and absolutely love where you're heading with this as well. No problems. Hashtag one team. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Sam. And thank you uh, for listening to the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 56 with Sam from Think Tank Social. If you'd like to engage with the show notes, any of the links to anything we've talked about today, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash five six. That's the numbers five six for all of the show notes. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 